The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. Last week, we had Adrian Donato. We had a guest preacher, a friend of mine. Uh, He's the dean of the seminary, so he's my boss in that regard, and he brought the word out of Colossians 4. And for those of us who are here, we were greatly blessed by Adrian. So we did take a week away from 1 Corinthians 12. So we'll resume 1 Corinthians 12. We're just going through that epistle. 1 Corinthians, uh, we are now in chapter 12, verse 10, and we're in a section now where Paul lists nine specific spiritual gifts, and we actually want to define them because it is very important to know what they are, how they were used and defined in the New Testament, uh, because we need to know that today in our church, as there's much confusion in the evangelical church in America and actually the church around the world about spiritual gifts, what they are, uh, how they're defined why we are supposed to use our spiritual gifts. And today we look at uh, gift number seven, so that um, the next time we pick up, we'll pick up the last two of those nine. Uh, Today, the spiritual gift that we're looking at is the gift of distinguishing spirits, plural spirits, Paul says. And he mentions this gift in 1 Corinthians 12.10, right after he just mentioned the gift of prophecy. There are some that God gives the gift to Uh, the gift of prophecy to some and to some others, not everybody. uh, Some Christians receive the gift of distinguishing spirits, and it's on the heels of prophecy, and there's a reason for that. We're going to talk about that. But before we do, let's go ahead and look at Acts chapter 16, verse 16, where the writer says, It happened that as we, we, this is Luke, the personal companion of the Apostle Paul, a physician, and a missionary. The we also includes Silas, one of Paul's partners, and the we also includes young Timothy that they just picked up as they were visiting the churches. So they have a ministry team, a missions ministry team, and they're visiting churches that have been planted and also, no doubt, evangelizing and planting other churches as the Lord provides opportunity. They ended up in Philippi, where they've had opportunity to preach, And they actually saw God open the heart of Lydia, and she got saved. Amazing, after Paul preached the gospel in verse 14. After that high note, there's a a valley, which is typical in the Christian life. And that's verse 16. And Luke says, And it so happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us. So there's this. Slave girl that meets up with Paul's ministry team. So it's Luke, Timothy, Silas, Paul, maybe a couple other associates. And they're on doing ministry, off to prayer. And they're met by this young woman. uh, And it said she had a spirit of sorts. And she was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. So someone owned her. A plurality of men apparently owned her. Verse 17. Then something amazing happened. So she decides she wants to follow after this Paul guy. No doubt she was exposed to his ministry. She was intrigued by him. Maybe they saw him do miracles and they heard his message. Maybe seeing people get transformed. And so she starts following after Paul and his team. And then she starts crying out. This is in public. Crying out loud. The top of her lungs in public. Walking behind the entourage. You would think, oh, this is good publicity for our missions team. So she was crying out, saying, these men are bondservants of the Most High God. Well, that's true. She got it right. 
who they are, and then also what they're doing, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. You would think, oh, this is cool. Free advertisement. Well, it it wasn't good, actually. Verse 18. She continued doing this for many days. Over and over and over, making a public scene. Whenever Paul was trying to move around the city and do ministry, she continued doing this for many days. Paul finally had it. But Paul was greatly annoyed. This is not a superficial human annoyance. This was He was troubled in his soul and in his spirit. And he turned and he said to the spirit. Notice he didn't say to the woman. He said to the spirit, the spirit that was inside this woman, and rebuked the spirit inside of her. And he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. This woman, even though she was saying the right thing, uh, this is a man of God. They're preaching the gospel of salvation. They serve the most high God. And she's doing it for days and days, which sounds like a good thing. It was a bad thing. And Paul knew that she was demon-possessed. And I, when I'm reading this, I'm thinking... Wow, how did he know that? I would not have perceived that. I, I would have welcomed this promotion. Uh, Paul did not. How did Paul know that she was filled with a demon? Uh, I believe it was for a few reasons. Number one, he was an apostle. Uh, number two, he did have access to uh, divine and direct revelation at times from the Lord as God willed. And also could very well be that he had this gift that we're going to talk about in 1 Corinthians 12.10. This gift that was unique and given to just a few people, and it was called the gift of distinguishing spirits. The the ability to spontaneously, supernaturally, by God's direct intervention, to discern and distinguish and evaluate and critique and judge when there was a so-called prophet who gave utterance and said, Thus saith the Lord. And so the person with the gift of distinguishing spirits was able to, on the spot, evaluate anybody coming down the pike, whether a true prophet or a false prophet, when they spoke out spontaneously and said, thus saith the Lord, this is a word from the Lord. And then they spoke. Those with the gift of distinguishing spirits, if they were present, could listen, evaluate, and immediately determine whether this was of God or not. That's what this gift is. And it's beautifully illustrated right here. By the Apostle Paul, there are other places that he did it as well. I believe Peter did it in Acts chapter 5, where he's able to distinguish spirits on the spot, supernaturally, with this gift. And I said about three, four weeks ago that Jesus is the model of all the spiritual gifts, all 19 that we listed. Except we never do see him speaking in tongues in the Gospels. But all these other gifts have been manifest by him at one time or another. And there are places where Jesus... Uh, modeled, I believe, what this gift of distinguishing spirits was like. And one place could be in Acts 16 where Peter made a statement to Jesus. And this is at the end of Jesus' ministry. And then Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He was speaking to the spirit of Satan who was speaking through Peter. That is distinguishing between the spirits and exposing it for what it is. And there are a couple of other occasions where Jesus did something very similar. So with that background, let's go to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 10, and let's look at this gift of distinguishing spirits. If you read through the commentaries, there is a consensus about what this gift is. It's not one of those highly controversial ones. So that was pleasant to see. Uh, although if you look at those, I mean, you can pull that. You just go online and spiritualgifts.com or whatever, and there's a zillion uh, folks that offer different kinds of spiritual gift tests and inventories that you can take. And every once in a while you'll see 
uh, in their list of spiritual gifts that you're testing for, sometimes they'll just list it as discernment. Not distinguishing of spirits. It says distinguishing of spirits. That's very specific. It's not just generic discernment. But some of these tests will put discernment. And, and I would argue that um, the gift of discernment is not the same thing as what we're looking at here, distinguishing of spirits. Let's go ahead and look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10, just in context. Uh, by way of reminder, verse 7, I said, was the key to the entire chapter, the key umbrella verse. Um, and then after that, but to each Christian is given the manifestation of the spirit, a uh, spiritual gift for the common good, for the, pur- the purpose of spiritual gifts is for everybody to edify the body of Christ, first and foremost. Uh, and then he begins to list what these spiritual gifts are. At least he uses nine of them as an example. It's kind of interesting, the ones that he does list, there are... He's being selective here, and I think purposely so. He doesn't list all 19 that are delineated in Scripture. Uh, on the front end, he picks two that the Corinthians particularly were commended for having, but also they abused the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. So those were two that they were confused by and abused, and he mentioned that in the first four chapters of Corinthians. So he mentions those two first. And then the last two he mentions, um, prophecy and tongues was another area where they were off the charts in terms of abusing those two gifts so that could be purposeful on paul's part and in between those are these other gifts that apparently they didn't really talk about or have a dispute over or maybe even didn't give attention to or maybe they looked down their nose on those people that had these so-called lesser gifts than speaking in tongues prophecy word of knowledge and word of wisdom and so paul basically aligns these together all nine it's no they are all equally important to god in terms of edifying and building his body you're not superior based on the gift that God chooses to give you at his discretion. And also they are to be used in service to others, not yourself. So that's the big context. And so now we're on gift number seven. Uh, let's go ahead and look at it. And to another, um, the affecting of miracles, to another prophecy. We talked about that two weeks ago. Prophecy was the ability to spontaneously speak direct revelation from God. And prophecy was always new revelation, whether it was foretelling whether it referred to the past the present whether it was using scripture to communicate a new truth prophecy was always new and direct revelation from god and we concluded that god laid the foundation with the prophets and the apostles and the prophets and the apostles i believe died out by the end of the first century and this gift has not been continuing throughout church history uh, because we have all the sufficient uh, truth from god that we need in scripture the new testament canon the faith once for all delivered to the saints said jude at the very end of the first century with that uh, another was given the gift of prophecy so there were a few of those and then to another the distinguishing of spirits so that's what we're looking at here this gift the distinguishing of spirit it's not discernment the word discernment is used in the new testament in a few places uh hebrews 5 for example this is very specific this is something it is related but it's not identical Discernment is an umbrella generic term. Distinguishing of spirits is a very specific thing that falls under that big umbrella of discernment. Distinguishing of spirits had to do with discernment, but it was a specific kind of a discernment that was wielded, and it was always in relationship to prophecy that was going on in the local church in the days of the Apostle Paul and the Apostles as the foundation of the church was being laid. So in light of that, Uh, What I wanted to do today was uh, illustrate and talk about and define the gift of distinguishing spirits. But in tandem, I also wanted to put that side by side with discernment in general. Highly important. 
Because they are both related to being discerning, spiritually speaking. Uh, so if you look at your handout and you want to follow there, that's kind of the roadmap I'm going to follow. But I want to start first with a definition of discernment, and this is just a generic definition. Then we'll get more specific with respect to this gift in a moment. But just a basic definition of discernment, and this is spiritual discernment. So a non-Christian wouldn't have this ability. This is for believers. It's the Discernment is the ability to perceive and expose differences between truth and error. Perceive, understand it quickly, see it clearly. Oh, that, that's not correct. That is not in keeping with God's revealed truth. Oh, that, that seems off base. Oh, yes, that is consistent with what God has already said. They perceive it. They are able to quickly diagnose it with great clarity as a, a gift from God. Or if it's just basic discernment that you have as a Christian. The ability to perceive and then expose. You haven't finished your job if you had this gift, if you didn't expose it for what it was. Affirming it, yes, this is true, the, the word of the Lord has been spoken, or exposing it saying, no, this is false, do not listen. This is dangerous. Take heed, or in the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, watch out. That's what he said about false prophets. Watch out. Be on guard. Be vigilant. Uh, so that's a definition, generically speaking, of discernment the ability to perceive and expose differences between truth and error and it's primarily spiritual truth and spiritual counterfeits pseudo spirituality which is error a lie and in the words of paul in first thessalonians 5 it is evil it is evil sometimes we don't think of it as evil but it is there's a moral component to it and a spiritual component so with that let me go ahead and just uh, like i said take these two just uh, discernment in general, and then this specific gift of dis- distinguishing of spirits. Uh, so we'll start. Oh, and I did want to say that uh, the church is in drastic need of discernment, isn't it? Um, every Christian. I mean, just see it all the time. It's been true of my whole Christian life, probably been true of your life as a concerned Christian, is where you hope that you're growing in discernment. Maybe you look back in your life and realize, wow, I was really lacking discernment 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Man, what I believed and what I went for and fell for and even taught to others. Man, how shameful is that? So hopefully we're all growing in discernment. And then at the same time, we rub shoulders with other Christians who we think, wow, they, they are lacking discernment. Or, oh, their church maybe doesn't uh, recognize this as a ministry or discipline or that kind of thing. So it's very important. Um, and there's a very personal component to it in terms of the need, but it goes beyond the personal need. Uh, our church universal and our church through history uh, needs the gift of discernment, and it needs those who are willing to stand up and be discerning. Those are two different issues, actually. Um, but I just think about church history of, wow, just because somebody let their guard down at some point, somehow false truths have leaked into the church from the world or from Satan or wherever, and the remnants of those have remained like DNA in the church. We've never been rid of them. Uh, starting with way back in church history, um, after the development and growth of the early church, and then all of a sudden things like purgatory crept in to the church. And it's been a doctrine that's been held onto and promoted for over a thousand years. And some Christians still believe in a form of purgatory, or that there's a second chance, or that there's some form of soul sleep when you die, especially if you're not a Christian. There's no eternal hell, it's soul sleep. That still plagues us as a church. Um, coming into more modern times, I think about evolution and theistic evolution of all sorts and forms, and that has just 
taken the church by storm. It's ubiquitous. It is everywhere. And it's, it's quite a mongrel. And it might be plaguing our church universal for quite some time. Um, even more recent times, the feminism from the world has crept into the church. And it's, feminism is alive and well in the church today. And I mean feminism in a bad way, a secular and a worldly way. And we see it in many forms. Um, the social gospel which I call do-gooder Christianity. Jesus was first and foremost a do-gooder. And how easy is that for the world to replicate? And the true message of Christianity gets smothered under that. Uh, More recently, environmentalism has taken the world by storm and even the church. see it all the time. The homepage of church after church after church after church after church of their website or their basic brochure. One of the main things they stand for is environmentalism and a green church and green Christians, and we've got to save and heal the earth. Really? I, I can't save and heal anybody, but um, we see environmentalism. You know what that is? That's nothing more than what Paul said in Romans chapter 1 of elevating the creation over the creator. That's what it is. Paul predicted it. Uh, self-esteem, run amok, been since the last century. Self-esteem, smothered out sin. Uh, happiness church is all about happiness be happy be satisfied happiness instead of holiness and I could go on and on today for us it's like acceptance of immorality blatant immorality it's our entertainment now we watch TV shows of all kinds of immorality and we're entertained and we laugh and there's polygamy yippee and what's going to happen next week and all kinds of other gross immorality abortion homosexuality um, just as time goes on Uh, These things seep into the church, and we need a clarion voice from pulpits all over the the world of Christ's church and Bible teachers and men and women of God pursuing discernment and exposing these things so the church might be pure and holy and pleasing to God and used by God to do his intended purpose towards sinners. So with that introduction, let's go ahead and look at these two kinds of discernment one is the generic discernment and one is the very specific gift of discerning of spirit so point number one there is the command to discern the command to discern i put first john fourth we'll look at that in a little bit but uh, this is a command to every christian and so that's why i put there those points there i'm talking about this is not a gift this is not a spiritual gift in my opinion and based on a lot of bible verses because it's a command. God gives every Christian the command to discern. It's not a gift as much as it is a, a virtue or a discipline and a blessing and a byproduct of being a Christian. So it is an obligation. And we're going to look at some of those commands that God commands every believer, every Christian to be discerning. And not just in the New Testament church. Uh, believers in the Old Testament were commanded to be discerning and highly discerning. From Deuteronomy 13, where he told the whole community of Moses... Somebody comes along and says they're a prophet, examine their words, examine their life, examine their works. If they are false, they are be, to be exposed. That's discernment. And the, it was the obligation of all of God's people. And then a few chapters later, Deuteronomy 18, the same thing. Watch out for false prophets, false teachers. Listen to their words. Listen to what they proclaim to be the truth and expose them. The book of Proverbs is an entire compendium on, for a believer to be discerning in every area of life. I mean, the, the, the appeal and the cry of the father, Solomon or whoever it is, crying out to his chil- children, listen to me, listen to me. Uh, 
hunger after wisdom and discernment and understanding as though it were fine silver and gold. It is to be treasured above all things. That is a plea from Solomon, a believer and a godly man, calling younger ones, younger believers, to be discerning in a, basically in every area of life. So that is a call for all people to be discerning. So that's this generic command. I also put this generic command for all believers to be discerning. It's universal, so it applies to every Christian of all ages, and it's ongoing. It continues. Uh, This is how it is different than the gift of discerning or distinguishing spirits. I believe the gift of distinguishing spirits went hand in hand and was a partner to the gift of prophecy. It's kind of like those that had the gift of distinguishing spirits were like the police of the so-called prophets. They would police what they said and evaluate it and hold up their scorecard. 9.9. Zero. F minus, or whatever they did. But it went hand in hand with uh, the gift of prophecy, not so basic commands. And so that's why I say being discerning is an ongoing obligation for all believers, for all time, for the church age, for all of us. And that will be an expectation that is uh, never pulled back by God. So it's an ongoing obligation. We need to be discerning today just as much as they had to be in the early New Testament church. And another distinctive about basic discernment that is universal is the standard or the objective standard by which we use to discern primarily is the word of God. And that's point number C. We have to discern, but how do we do that? We can't do it on our own experience or our own wisdom or our own learning because that's all deficient. It's not intuitive. There has to be an objective standard of truth by which we vet and gauge everything. And clearly in scripture, that is the word of God. That is scripture. So that's just the basic command that applies to all of us here that are believers to be discerning in an ongoing manner. And then there's the gift of distinguishing of spirits that was different and unique and very specific. And some highlights about that are the gift of distinguishing spirits. It was a limited gift. In other words, not every Christian had it. Paul makes that clear in 1 Corinthians 12 where it says, and to one Christian was given this, but another heteros, different Christian, is given this different gift making it clear, as he uses the word heteros at least two times in this passage of the nine gifts, that not every Christian received the same gift. And he will continue to say that throughout this discussion on spiritual gifts. That's probably one of the most basic messages we need in Christianity today is Paul made it categorically clear through the Spirit of God that not every Christian is expected to have the same spiritual gifts. So you can't come along and say, well, every Christian should be speaking in tongues which I was told many times as a young and new Christian. That is not true. It's not biblical. It's not in Scripture. So that's basic. So Paul makes it clear. Uh, The gifts were limited. Not everybody had the same gift. They were limited. And so this gift of distinguishing spirits uh, was limited. And another key point, God was the one who gave the gift. We don't pursue it and say, God, I want this gift. It doesn't work that way. He distributes the gifts as he wills. Verse 11 will tell us and many other passages. So uh, that was true of this gift. I believe in the early church there were few people that had this gift. I believe they had to be around uh, the prophets, those who claimed to be prophets. I also believe that those with the gift of prophecy probably had maybe this gift. A true prophet could have had this gift of discerning of spirits. But it was a limited gift in that not every Christian had it. And also it was a sign gift. It was uh, a sign 
gift meaning to validate or to show that uh, the direct revelation that is being given at that time is true it is from god and god used that new revelation direct revelation to lay the foundation of the church to give us the new testament to validate the ministry of the apostles as spokesmen for god so a sign gift was a limited gift reserved i believe for the first century and included the apostles that was a gift prophecy another limited sign gift the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, speaking in tongues, the interpretation of tongues, and this gift, distinguishing of spirits. These are sign gifts that were limited in terms of their time and also their purpose. And then I already mentioned this, that last point there. This gift had to be used with prophecy. Clearly, that was the point. Uh, some good basic definitions from some helpful Bible teachers summarize it well. Uh, one Bible teacher said, the gift of distinguishing spirits was an ability to distinguish true prophecy from false prophecy. To discern between the pure inspiration, that's direct revelation, of the divine spirit and the impure excitements either of the natural man or of demonic agencies. Whoa. And that's what the, the person with the gift of distinguishing spirits in the early church, what he was trying to discern was one of three things. Somebody gets up and says, thus saith the Lord. Bill Clinton will be dead before the next four years is over. That was a prophecy that I shared with you two years, uh, two weeks ago that I was told in 1994 when a prophet came to town down in southern L.A. And what the, the person with the gift of distinguishing spirits is looking for is that is either a spirit of the Holy Spirit, so it's true, or it is the spirit of the natural man and he's just making it up, which it's false, or it is actually a demonic or satanic spirit which was Paul's case in Acts 16 with that woman. And that's why I believe the word is plural here, distinguishing of spirits. Is it the Holy Spirit, man's spirit, demonic spirit, satanic spirit? And the one with this gift had this ability. Uh, another helpful Bible teacher says, it is the power of discriminating between prophetic utterances. So it was this spontaneous prophecy. I mean, here's Warren Wiersbe, one of my favorite Bible teachers of all time. A uh, great pastor and expositor, he says this about this gift. The discerning of spirits was important in the early church since Satan tried to counterfeit the work of God and the word of God. Today, the spirit especially uses the written word to give us discernment, the Bible. Since there are no prophets in the church today, says Wearsby, we need not worry about false prophets, but we do have to beware of false teachers. Technically, he is true. There aren't any false prophets, but there's plenty of people going around saying they are prophets who are false. So in that sense, there are false prophets. They're nothing more than just uh, false teachers. So, And then one more uh, says, it was the power to distinguish between true and false prophets. Nice and simple. So that uh, was the gift of distinguishing spirits. A limited rare gift. I believe that accompanied prophecy in the first century of the church that helped lay the foundation of the church in this same, the Corinthians had a problem with this. Apparently one of the problems with the Corinthians was they were getting out of hand and overly excited about their spiritual gifts, especially the showy ones and the verbal ones like speaking in tongues and prophecy. And so a big chunk of what we're about to look at is Paul's discussion on uh, tongues and prophecy. And it is apparent that in the Corinthian church, there were probably... There were too many people who thought they had the gift of prophecy. In other words, there are Christians 
who thought they had the gift of prophecy and they didn't. Do we ever see that today? Where somebody gets up as a Christian in the name of the Lord and they think they have the gift of prophecy? We see it all the time. And that was true in Corinth. There were those who actually had the legitimate gift and then there were, there were others who thought they had it and were probably self-deceived. And maybe there were others who were masquerading and purposely being deceptive. Maybe even as a tool of Satan for all we know. But we know for a fact that there were just too many people wielding the gift of prophecy and they were out of control and there was no order and it was chaotic and they're going crazy and it is embarrassing. And Paul's saying, man, I hope nobody's visiting the church from your community that's an unbeliever because he's going to think you guys are crazy. That's his argument in 1 Corinthians 14 that's coming. So there is protocol, there is order, and Paul's going to tell us what that is. And so... That was a huge problem. This abuse of the gift of prophecy that was legit in the Corinthian church. And by the way, we know from the New Testament, uh, men could have the gift of prophecy and women also could be prophets or have the gift of prophecy. Unlike apostles, women were not apostles, but they could be prophets. And apparently there were women in the Corinthian church who claimed to have the gift of prophecy and they were creating confusion. And so I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 14 where Paul addresses this. And and basically what he says in 1 Corinthians uh, 14 is, you know what, you guys, you need to wield the gift of distinguishing of spirits properly here. And you need to rein in your prophets in your church. They're out of control. Let's bring some order to it. Uh, Verse 3. First of all, pursue love. You're just totally unloving and self-centered in what you're doing. Uh, secondly, verse 3, but one who prophesies speaks to man. So you need to be doing it for edification, building up others, building up the church, not in a self-centered manner. Uh, then he goes on to look at verse um, 27. He's talking about tongues. Uh, if anyone speaks in tongues, it should be by two or three at the most. See, that's that order, reining it in. And then you must have an interpreter. you got speaking in tongues without interpretation. That's false. Uh, verse 28, uh, and, then the, and then he goes on to verse 29, transitions to the prophets now. Let two or three prophets speak. Same thing. You can't have 14 people speaking at the same time, saying, thus saith the Lord. That is mass confusion and hysteria. It's not edifying anybody. It's totally confusing. So just let two or three of the prophets speak, if indeed you have some who have the gift of prophecy. And get this at the end of verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. There it is. That is the gift of the distinguishing spirits. Whoever has the gift. Evaluate whether it was true or not and then communicate it verbally to the entire congregation. What you just heard was truly of the Lord. May God be praised. Or maybe if it was false, they were exposed on the spot. You talk about embarrassing. But it needed to happen. God needed to preserve his church. Uh, verse 30, but if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. And then uh, he goes on into more detail about this gift of prophecy. So there it is in action being used. I believe this gift of distinguishing of spirits. Uh, now let's go back to the gift uh, or not the gift, the blessing of discernment or the command or obligation of all of us to be discerning just with a few uh, thoughts for us to consider because um, we all need to be exercising the gift of discernment. Um, first of all, the, the need for discernment, Tim Challies 
Um, he has a blog and he's a Christian and he's a very discerning guy because he works hard at it. And he wrote a book. It's called Spiritual Discernment. It's a great little book. And there's a neat little paragraph he has there, which I believe is also true. He says he doesn't see discernment as a spiritual gift that only a few people have. He believes discernment is a basic virtue and discipline that's a byproduct of being a Christian. And so he says this, uh, discernment is a discipline, Christian discipline, and like other disciplines such as prayer and reading the Bible. It is one that all Christians should seek to practice and should seek to practice deliberately. That is so true. So that is well stated. I want to follow that up with, okay, so we're talking about discernment. We all need to be discerning. And I want to show from Scripture or answer basically two questions. Uh, Why is there a need for discernment? And where are the commands to be discerning? This is still under pointing on the generic uh, obligation of Christians to be discerning. We need to be discerning. Why does the church, why do Christians need to be discerning? Uh, To summarize, I just say for two reasons. And then there's a lot of reasons under that. Corollary reasons. We need to be discerning as Christians, spiritually speaking, because Satan is alive and well on planet Earth, right? He is your enemy. He is a vicious, roaring lion. He is seeking whom he may devour. He is the great deceiver. That is his name. He attacks the mind. He attacks our thinking. He tries to blind our thinking, distort our thinking, confuse our thinking. And he does that to Christians. He doesn't deceive just unbelievers. If you're a Christian, you ever get to a point where you stop thinking about Satan, you've already probably been a victim. Or if you get to a point as a Christian thinking, ah, Satan can't hurt me, that is, Paul said, take heed lest you fall. That's why Jesus said when you pray, pray every day, Matthew 6. Pray daily, and part of that prayer is deliver me from evil, Father. And Luke says in the parallel passage, deliver me from the evil one. Are we praying daily that God would deliver us from the deception of Satan on our own thinking? It's not, God, I pray that you would uh, remove the blindness of my friend or whoever lives in my house or whoever, that the sister at the church. No, it starts with us. That's where we need to start. So why is there a need for discernment? Because Satan is real. He is alive. He is dangerous. He's invisible. He's power, powerful. He's supernatural. And he has one vicious task, and that is to tear us down. And he does it primarily through deception, toying with our mind. And it's usually which is just a little tweak. That's all he needs. Just a little tweak. And the second reason we need discernment is people are evil. Isn't that profound? People are evil. Jesus said that to his apostles who were born again, who loved him, whom he was training to serve and represent him. And he he says, you being evil. That was a declaration. He was diagnosing their very core and their heart. You are sinful to the core. I am holy God-man. You are sinful. So that applies to us. We are sinful. We are evil. Unbelievers are sinful and evil. Satan uses sinful, evil people to deceive people. Satan uses human beings that are sinful, short-sighted, deceived, confused, evil to deceive Christians in the church. And Satan's doing a pretty good job. So why do we need this pursuit of the discipline of discernment in our life just as basic as the discipline of prayer and Bible reading because of Satan and evil people? The the need for discernment, uh, a couple other reasons. Jesus warned us of deceivers. Continually, part of the three-year seminary training that his apostles got was there was offensive 
go out and share the gospel. But there's also the defensive component that Jesus routinely reminded his apostles of. And many times it was in the form of warnings. Watch out. One of the last things he said, watch out. Beware of what false prophets, false teachers, be discerning. There are many ways he said to be discerning. Be dis- you can discern them by their fruits, the actions of their life. You can discern them by their words as you compare it with God's revealed truth. That's what Jesus said. So uh, Matthew 24, 11 and 24, Jesus said, there will be many prophets. Many prophets will go out into the world. But do not be surprised. Many prophets will go out into the world. And when Jesus says something, it always comes true. That's exactly what has happened. So Jesus warned us about it, uh, the need for discernment. Paul warned about it. Acts 20, 28 to 31, at the end of his ministry, this is like in the late 50s, early 60s A.D., Paul gathers the elders from Ephesus, could have been a whole bunch of them, and he talks about his ministry and how I served you and how I love you and how I was a a watchman for the truth and have gone door to door and labored with my hands and I want you to do the same and watch over the flock. You elders, you need to watch over God's flock, the church that he purchased with his own blood. And I want to warn you that men will enter in the church from the outside. Wolves will enter in from the outside so as to deceive the believers, to devour them. And then, you know what's worse and even more scary? And from within, from among your own selves, false teachers will arise. That's scary. From among your own selves, within your own midst. In other words, they're going to look like you. They aren't going around parading like ravenous wolves. They look like sheep. They talk like sheep. They quote Jesus. They quote the Bible. They use biblical terminology. Those are the most deceptive of all. So Paul warned, they're coming. Peter warned in Second Peter 2, 1 and verse 10. He said, they're coming. False teachers are coming. Many false teachers are coming. They're coming. They're coming. They're coming. This is what Peter and Paul are saying in 50s and 60s AD. And then you go a couple decades later. And guess what? John and Jude are saying, they're here. They're here. That's what he said. First John is all about exposing false prophets that are here. John said there are many antichrists in the world. There are many false teachers in the world. Jude said the same thing. They're in the world. They're all over the place. There are many of them. They are even at your feasts. They sit next to you with no qualms being a deceiver by your side. Yet they're arrogant. They are evil. They are boastful. They're scabs. They're black clouds. I mean, just the terminology Jude uses through the Spirit of God frightening can you imagine second peter and jude two entire new testament epistles written on the reality that there are false teachers and false prophets in the church and the command and obligation of every christian as a result we need to be vigilant we need to be discerning so hence we have the commands in scripture i'll just give you a few we have the commands in scripture to be discerning and they apply to us we need to pursue this. We need to be proactive. We need to be disciplined. We need to be deliberate. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. It also says, love the Lord your God with all your mind. How you think. That's discernment. And Paul said in Ephesians 4, don't be a little immature baby anymore being tossed to and fro by every false wind of doctrine coming down the pike. Grow up, Christian. And growing up is a result of taking in biblical truth, biblical knowledge, being mature, growing in our understanding of Scripture. 
and then following through in obedience on it and being discerning. So actually, um, your ability to discern is kind of is one gauge of spiritual maturity. It's not the only gauge, but it is one of many gauges uh, to evaluate spiritual maturity. So hopefully, as a Christian, part of the sanctification in your own life is that you will grow over the course of your time uh, in discernment as a result of God working in you and you being diligent and me being diligent to pursue it as a discipline. Uh, I'm saddened when I meet Christians and I see Christians whom I've known for 10, 20, 30 years, and I'm thinking, man, they still believe the same deception that they did 30 years ago or 20 years ago or 10 years ago. They haven't, they haven't grown in this, and it's so basic. That's frustrating. So it's by God's grace that we grow in that area. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. Jesus said, know the truth. The truth will set you free. Satan's trying to attack the truth in your mind. Uh, Paul said explicitly, 2 Corinthians 10.5, take every thought captive. Make it obedient to Christ. And he was talking about false ideology, false teaching, false thinking, false propaganda, false philosophies of the world. They, we are surrounded by it. We're inundated every single day. Are we taking everything coming our way and vetting it in light of God's word scripture and taking our thoughts captive to truth because we are all so vulnerable weak and susceptible to it it's a great reminder paul said be transformed by the renewing of your mind these are all commands uh, that every christian needs to be growing in discernment uh here's a powerful one philippians 4 8 and 9 whatever is true whatever is true and then at the end he says think on these things meditate on these things discern about these things it's a, it's a discipline of the mind focused on truth exposing error it's a basic obligation uh, i could go on and on hebrews 5 11 through 14 is another one where paul says if you're not growing in discernment then you're you're child you're a baby you're immature and you're vulnerable uh, the hebrews author says so uh that's the obligation uh just a couple of other things to for us to think about um it is possible by the way to be a discerning person maybe you might be thinking well i don't have the maybe you thought up to this point well i, I don't have the gift of discernment actually one pastor i was reading in a commentary this week that's, that's what he said he said here's the the gift of distinguishing of spirits he just said it's discernment and i don't have this gift and i'm thinking then why are you a pastor i mean who should be most discerning of all in the church it should be the leaders of the church right the pastors the elders the teachers the leaders to train the people to protect the people Recently, I've heard a couple of times where somebody uh, said, um, oh, this is from Pastor Cliff. It's got to be good. It was like, you know, books or whatever that I recommend or whatever. I'm thinking that's that's cool that they think of me that way. But it's also I thought, "Ooh, that's ooh, yikes. That's a high responsibility on my part. And boy, I sure I hope don't, I don't let the people down. And actually, we probably shouldn't think that way about anybody, should we? Because I, I think about um the Bereans, the Christian Bereans in Acts 17. Paul's going through town. He's preaching. He's an apostle. He's doing miracles. Uh, he just got chased out of one town from Thessalonica, and he ends up in Berea. And they're nicer people, and they have a fellowship meal, and he gets to have extra dessert at their church. And so he's loving it, and they're having a Bible study. And they love the Word, and Paul's teaching and preaching and prophesying and being an apostle. And they didn't just swallow it and say, oh, it's, it, Paul said it, therefore it's true. It says they examined the Scriptures carefully to see if what Paul said was true. Isn't that amazing? That is a great example. That's what every Christian needs to do. It's not just because some guy, my favorite Bible teacher said it or whoever. It's But what is Scripture? Compare that to Scripture. Every Christian book you read, every sermon you hear, every Bible study you're in. Just keep taking it back to God's plumb line, His Scripture. It's the straight and narrow. And by the you can do it. 
I, 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 don't, I was going to say I, I believe in you, but I don't. Um, I only believe in Jesus, but we can do this with the power of God's help and his grace. And here's just a few thoughts of how it's possible for you and me to be discerning and grow in discernment. Every Christian has the ability to be discerning as required by God, first and foremost, because when they get saved, they get the indwelling Holy Spirit of God living in them. Isn't that amazing? The same Holy Spirit who created the world out of nothing, the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, Christian. And his, one of his gifts is to be the teacher and the illuminator of truth. So we have inherent power and ability through the Holy Spirit who is in us. Paul also says that we have, as Christians, we have the mind of Christ. That is profound. First Corinthians, the end of chapter 2. We have the living Spirit in us. We have the mind of Christ at our disposal. What else do we have? You know, I was going to ask uh, before church, I was going to go around and take a quick survey and ask people and corner them in an intimidating-like kind of way and say, hey, do you have the anointing? Just to see what they would say but I, I ran out of time this morning. But that would have been really interesting. Do you have the anointing? Do you have the anointing? I would imagine a lot of people are like, whoa, what's that? Or no, but can I, can I buy it? Or whatever. Who knows what they would say? Well, if you're a Christian, get this. the answer is yes. In 1 John chapter 2, John says to every Christian, you have the anointing. That is awesome. That is amazing. I don't know what it is, but that is awesome. I have the anointing. All he's talking about is you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you, who is your resident teacher, first of all, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't need some elitist, esoteric teacher who's got all the secrets to give you basic truths about Christianity. You have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, Christian, be encouraged. So we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, we have the mind of Christ, we have the anointing, we have scripture, here it is right here, we have all the truth. Do we have some of the truth? No, we have all the truth. And we can be certain about the truth. We can know it categorically. Uh, we, have script, we have prayer. You, you lack wisdom. You need discernment. You pray to God. God, give me wisdom. God, help me understand the scriptures. God, expose this falsehood to me. God is gracious. He responds to the prayers of his people. And finally, we can be discerning because we have the church, which Paul calls the pillar of the truth, the safeguard of the truth in Timothy. Look, at, Think about all these resources. There is no excuse for any Christian to be lacking in discernment. Because if you aren't where you should be, you've got plenty of people who are ready to help you. That's what I rely on. The most influential people in my Christian life are people who invested in me primarily in the area of being discerning men and women of God, teaching me to think biblically and be discerning. Because they knew how valuable it is to the Christian life. So let me close with just some basic resources that I benefited from that you can too. Uh, people who have helped in training other Christians with the gift of discernment very specifically. Um, going back to some class, Dave Hunt, The Occult Invasion. Dave, almost every book that Dave Hunt wrote, for exception of a couple, had to do with being discerning and very helpful. Uh, David Jeremiah wrote one called The Invasion of Other Gods, which is very helpful. Talking about worldviews infiltrating the church. And why Christians are being duped by very worldly ideologies with things like, and he goes on and on about uh, acupuncture. For some reason, that's the one he wanted to expose. Uh, Walter Martin, anything Walter Martin ever wrote is fantastic. Kingdom of the Cults. Uh, Ron Enroth, anything he ever wrote was very helpful and a blessing. John MacArthur, every book that John MacArthur's written that I can think of I, is, helps you with discernment. Al Mohler, his blog is amazing. You can look up just about any topic in the world and he'll take that in light of Scripture and current issues. That's why that is so helpful. Al Mohler's blog, J. 
James White is very helpful. Alpha and Omega Ministries, that's one of my favorites. Um, Tim Challies, I mentioned him. He's got a great blog as well. One, one thing he specializes in that is very helpful is he'll take every so-called Christian book coming down the pike that you can find in any Christian bookstore, especially the big sellers, like the shack and the this and the that and the circle drawer. And, you know, they're a craze in the Christian church. You're like, what is that? The new fad that's taken over the Christian world. How come you're not doing circles at your church, McManus? Uh, I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, then you need to get with it and read the book. Oh, okay. And then I go read Tim Challies, and then I say, oh, no, I'm not going to read that book. Because he reads them for me and says, this is helpful, this is not, this is biblical, this is not. Uh, so that's a tremendous ministry to the church. And then uh, Think Biblically is a classic book by the faculty of the Master's College you should have in your library and gives you an overview of a Christian worldview in every area of life. Incredibly helpful. And then one of the recent ones uh, that's been helpful to me has been Todd Friel, F-R-I-E-L, and his radio program and TV program called Wretched Radio. Incredibly helpful. So we've got some resources and tools out there. And if you don't remember all those people's names, then you've got the Church of Jesus Christ right here at Grace Bible Fellowship and your brothers and sisters in Christ who love you and want to help you and they want you to lean on them and vice versa. And we need to do that for each other. So most of all, God help us to be discerning. Amen. Well, with that, let's go ahead and pray and then we can... uh, have communion together father we do thank you for our time together in the word and god this is a a timely and urgent reminder that we need from you so i thank you that you've preserved your word you have preserved scripture for us and you have reminded us as a people of the importance of being discerning know the truth that the truth will set us free error will trip us up god we need your help that we won't be tripped up by error and deception and lies and wisdom of the world and satanic blindness. And we're dependent upon your grace and your power. Thank you so much that you have given your powerful, illuminating Holy Spirit to live inside of every single one of us that is a child of God. Help us to not forget that great truth this day. We love you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.